Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And today I'm super excited to have as my guest, Susan Bratton. Susan is a highly regarded digital marketing entrepreneur. She's the co-founder and CEO of Personal Life Media, a multimedia brand which offers entertainment, personal growth, and educational content to socially conscious adults. Also the host of Better Lover YouTube channel, Susan is known as a trusted hot sex advisor to millions. Welcome to the show, Susan. Hello, Sumiti. I'm so happy to be here. I love to talk about sex, so we're in the right place at the right time. We are. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so before we get into the juicy topic of fluid-bonded non-monogamy, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a trusted hot sex advisor? Don't you love my title? I love it. I think I have... I think I have the best title in the universe, really. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, always wanted to have hot sex, and it seemed very elusive to me. And at the inflection point of almost getting divorced to my, from my wonderful husband, because our intimacy had just kind of evaporated in the 10 or 11 years of our marriage, we ended up saying why should we get divorced just because we're not having sex anymore? We should figure out how to get better in bed together. And we went to, you know, we live in the San Francisco Bay area and we're brave pioneers. And so we went to a bunch of sex workshops and it absolutely fundamentally changed our lives. It brought us back together. We were having hotter and hotter sex We were going through a renaissance in our relationship, and we were seeing all of our friends cheat on their partners, be disgusted and angry, get divorced, ruin their children's lives in some way. You know, in some ways you don't want to do that to your kids. And and we were so happy because we had gotten knowledge. We had learned skills. And sex, people think, oh, it's the birds and the bees. Everybody knows how to do it. But It's not true at all. There's so much joy and pleasure available if you learn how to have great sex, if you learn these techniques. And so we decided to go into business together, taking the things that we'd learned from our friends and in workshops and reading books and bring it to people all over the world through the beauty of the Internet. And 11 years ago this month, we started Personal Life Media, which is the company that we have where we teach heart-connected, conscious lovemaking techniques. So when people think about sexperts, a lot of times they think, okay, you've got a problem or you were abused or, you know, there's something wrong with you. I'm like on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm the sexpert that focuses on hot sex techniques, <laughs> bedroom communication <laughs> skills that increase your pleasure. And so I have spent over a decade studying what makes romance romantic. How do you bridge the orgasm gap between the fact that men have sex 
and intercourse and they can orgasm pretty easily where women struggle. Um, what, are the thing, what are the things you can say to your partner? What do you need to know about the men versus the women? All of these kinds of things. And so it's been a real joy and I'm having better sex at 56 years old than I've ever had in my life and enjoying teaching those sexual seekers who know there's more and they want to know what it is. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much for doing that research for the rest of us. <laughs> because um, I really often call it, I read about sex all yes. the time. <laughs> what great homework you have. <laughs> but, um, I often say there's an epidemic of long-term monogamy. So I think there's a lot of people suffering in long-term relationships. They don't want to leave their spouse. They have this whole life they built together. But there is an incompatibility sexually and oftentimes they think it's an incompatibility in sex drive, but often it's just a loss of interest because they haven't learned how to communicate and even know what they want, let alone be able to communicate it. Would, would you say that learning about your own body and what you want and need is the first step? Yes, it can be, but it, it actually doesn't even have to be. <laughs> you can mm-hmm. really jump into that pool Anywhere. I think it's Mm -hmm. more about, I mean, even if you don't really know what your three-dimensional clitoral structure looks like and where your perineal (laughs) sponge is and what the difference is between your coronal gland and whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's Mm -hmm. great to know how your equipment works. Why wouldn't you want to? But there are lots of places to engage in more intimacy. Um, and so I think what mostly holds people back from enjoying the full potential of their sex are three things. One, health issues, partner issues, and this big category I would call repression, abuse, you know, that, that kind of thing, body image issues, what have you. And health issues could be specifically sexual health issues. You know, I've got trouble lubricating. I can't, uh, you know, it hurts, it hurts from childbirth or whatever. They could be I'm on antidepressants and I have no libido. It could be those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Or I've got cancer and I don't feel like making love. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all kinds mm-hmm. of reasons why there's health issues. Partner issues are easy to fix generally in the sexuality space, unless you're, you ended up with one of those 3% of people who are just not sexual. And so, you know, this kind of does really lead us into the subject of non-monogamy, because there are times when you might want to stay with a partner who, for some reason, just is one of those 3% has a health issue that they can't overcome. Uh, There's something about your partner and you that isn't right sexually and you don't even want to remediate it. You'd rather open up to more possibility with someone else. With their blessing is what I would always say to that. Um, And then, of course, sexual abuse and repression and body image. There's so many somatic healing modalities and forgiveness modalities and sexual education and things you can learn about uh, overcoming your sexual abuse. I believe that even people who've been who've had very tragic sexual histories can can come through that and go on to have very wholesome and, and satisfying sex lives because I've done it myself. I've done that, that work, which wasn't work. It was self-exploration and self-healing. So, and mm-hmm. so many of us have 
had so many kinds of wounds in the sexual arena, whether it was our parents shutting us down or not feeling beautiful or having get, getting raped or whatever it might be. Men and women alike have had a lot of shame and abuse and repression. So I think that anything can be overcome. And the, the case for trying to take care of your sexuality is one that is so important because sex is health and health is sex. Without your sexuality, you're missing a fundamental part of your human vitality. And so Mm -hmm. if you are one of those people, and and if you're listening right now, you are one of those people that I call a sexual seeker, one of those people who says, I want more. And so you'll find in some of the things that Sumi and I talk about today, you're going to find a few things. You can't do everything. You can't fix it all, and you can't fix it all tomorrow. But you're going to hear a few things that, it, that interest you. And, and just go with your gut. You know what you need. And so we'll, we'll talk about a lot of stuff tonight. But I hope that there'll mm-hmm. be something in there that gives you an opportunity to break through to the next level of your sexual potential. Right. Thank you so much for your compassion around that because there, are, there is a lot of trauma around sexuality for both men and women and non-binary people. So um, it's a common thing, and I really appreciate the education that you offer for all of us. Um, so you wrote an article called uh, "What?" Uh, let me find the name of it. What couples in open relationships know that monogamous couples don't? Um, can you just tell, just so we can bridge from the monogamy model of couples that are having struggling in their marriage to open relationship. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit, just a few of those, uh, a few of those bullet points from that article, what couples in open relationships know that monogamous couples don't? Well, I, I've written uh, thousands of articles, <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what I think is the most important thing. If I remember what that article said, I think the most important thing about what non-monogamous couples know that monogamous couples could learn from Mm-hmm. is agreements and boundaries, the value mm-hmm. of agreements and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with boundaries because I, my free gift for listeners is an excerpt from what has turned out to be my best-selling book I've ever written. It's called Sexual Soulmates. Over the last more than a decade, I've been giving people things to try. Try this, try this, try this, try this. Thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And I have a mind for seeing patterns. And I saw what were those things that really helped couples, whether they were monogamous, non-monogamous, 19 or 90, to, to come together in a way, in a level of intimacy that felt like they were sexual soulmates. Because I think sexual soulmates are created, co-created, not ordained. You don't have a sexual soulmate. You become sexual soulmates. And one of, those, one of those six essentials to connected sex is something I call the sexual soulmate pact. It's an agreement. And it's an agreement tied up in a boundary. It's very interesting. Um, women are very hormonally cyclical. We ebb and we flow. Estrogen is a malleable hormone. Men, and, and if you're 
non, a non-binary person, if you're somewhere in the middle, you still are ruled by either testosterone or estrogen. Men are ruled by testosterone, and they're much more steady state. And so for, uh, for a partner who's testosterone dominant to understand what a estrogen person wants <laughs> is mm-hmm. um, this idea that she is going to want something different in every moment. So what worked the last time isn't going to work this time. A woman requires a high variety factor in their sexuality. They need different kinds of stimulation on different days. And so the Sexual Soulmate Pact, which I'll give you for free, you can download it. It's basically one of the chapters of my book. You go to personallifemedia.com slash sexual dash soulmate dash pact, P-A-C-T, like an agreement. And what you'll learn is that when you both acknowledge as partners that there's always going to be something different every day and that you are an animal. You can't control what you want because it's what your body wants. It's not you and your rational mind saying, I want it slow or I want it hard or I want to do something kinky or I want to just be held today. I need light touch or hard touch. You don't have control over that. It's, it's your animal and your hormonal cycle. And so if you can work with your partner to give them lots of feedback and they realize that the feedback isn't a failure on their part to know what to do, but is instead something they're hungry to know so they can pleasure you more fully in the moment, then you have a soulmate pact where you're going to give and receive the feedback that's required to get on that upward pleasure cycle together. That kind of an agreement is that spoken thing in the bedroom where you don't need to know exactly what you want, but if you tune into your body, you'll know what it is that you'd like to have. And when you communicate that to your partner, you help them win. And then all of a sudden, you're both feeling really good about what you're doing together. That's an agreement. And when you talk about people who are who are having multiple lovers or they're polyamorous or they're in an open relationship, you end up having to have a lot of agreements with all your partners. And those agreements can change over time. They can change as you mature because each one of us is maturing sexually in every moment. We're getting new information, new input, new learning, new pleasure, new experiences. And so you're born a sexual person and you die a sexual person. If you're lucky and you keep your sex life going, you can have sex till the day you die as long as you stay healthy and in your good vitality. So this soulmate pact is both the acknowledgement that you have agreements, agreements about communicating your needs for pleasure and connection, for being held and loved, for having wild off-the-hook sex, at the same time honoring your boundaries. I don't want my hair to get messed up. We have to go to a party after this. I want, I, I, I'm going to have to have my neck crick uncricked before I can even think about having a makeout with you. Whatever's going on for you, you have boundaries in every moment. You have desires in every moment. And if you have the agreement to share those, you end up with a really nice foundation. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I'm really glad you talked about this because if I had to pick the number one thing that men need to know most about pleasing women, 
it's keeping that line of communication open because of the fact that we constantly change what we want from second to second, from day to day and week to week. And so when uh, a man says, you know, I'm really good at going down on a woman or I'm a really good lover, I say, well, how do you know? Since everyone is different, how can you make a blanket comment like that? Being a good lover to me means not having a technique that you've learned in a video that you apply to every woman, but instead having those lines of communication open and reassuring the woman that you really want to hear what she wants. Um, So how do you help men to overcome that feeling of they should just know. I think it's really prevalent in our culture that men feel like they should just come to a sexual situation already knowing and having certain skills. So how do we teach men to be humble enough to have that beginner's mind, that open mind, to listen to what the woman wants in each moment? I go beyond even that. I say, here's how you can give a woman incredible pleasure by using the sexual soulmate pact. And here's how it works. You set up the agreement that says, baby, I, I want to know exactly what's going on with you. Or you say to your, your man, I want, I want to be able to tell you exactly what's going on with me. And it has nothing to do with your performance. I want to empower you to do a really good job pleasuring me because I know mm-hmm. that you, you get off on my pleasure. That's, that's what guys really like. Guys in testosterone, they like, a, they like frequent sex, but they're not generally as needful of as much variety. Many guys could have sex the same way all the time and be very satisfied. They, they just like to have regular sex. They're happy with regular sex. What they live for is giving their woman incredible pleasure. It's wired into them because they're biologically competitive. They can't pass their seed on unless they get inside a woman. So they know that they must please her to get invited back in. And so Mm. it's pretty easy to talk to a guy and say, you're the kind of guy that's really got a great healthy ego. You know, you want to start off on the right foot with your guy. And uh, I just want to be able to tell you anything and everything that's going on for me today. And whenever, whenever I give you that feedback, I need this certain quality of reassurance so I can keep doing it so I know you want it. I'd just like you to say, I'd just like you to acknowledge it in whatever way is right for you, like thank you, works perfectly for me. It lets me know that you appreciate my feedback. It makes me feel good about giving it instead of worried that I'm giving it to you. Or you could say, okay baby, or how's this, or got it, or "Mm mm-hmm, whatever you want to say. But I need a verbal acknowledgement because also the other thing about women is we're oriented more toward being auditory where men are more visual. So Mm -hmm. we need those words of affirmation where he likes Mm -hmm. to see you in sexy lingerie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember Mm -hmm. we're dealing with people all across the gender spectrum with all kinds of gender fluidity in these conversations. And so I don't want you to think I'm saying men and women. I'm just saying you take what you want out of this conversation based on who you feel you are and how you identify with things. Because I can't keep saying all that stuff every time I say masculine versus feminine. Mm-hmm. So I want you to know mm-hmm. I'm with you no matter where you are on the gender spectrum. You decide what's right for you. But know that mm-hmm. these are the polarities. This is the masculine or the feminine dynamic. This is what creates magnetism. This is what creates tension, is being able to know that the masculine loves to give the feminine incredible pleasure and the woman needs to hear that he loves the feedback. 
Mm-hmm. And I love how you phrased it. it. It's very, it's empowering to the feminine person to speak up and say, you know, I need to hear some kind of acknowledgement, some kind of auditory cue so I can keep yeah. giving it. So the way that you presented that, it allows us to take control of our own pleasure by asking for what we want. So that's perfect. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, okay. So thank you for um, just, you know, talking a little bit of, uh, in general about sexuality and um, how monogamous couples can learn from non-monogamous couples. Um, and not every non-monogamous person is in a couple. I want to acknowledge that as well. Um, so let's yeah. move on to talking about fluid bonded sex. Um, can you okay. start with defining what is fluid bonded sex? Yes. So a lot of times I just call it wet sex as well. So, and I say wet sex is not sex in the hot tub, although that can be nice. <laughs> um, There's a lot wet of sex is when, Yeah, exactly. Wet sex <laughs> is um, when you don't have to use a condom, a dam, or another blockade to sensation. So uh, I want to get right into birth control, too, because most people think that, uh, you know, well, if I don't have a condom, then I'm not on birth control. Well, um, you can use, of course, you can have the be on the pill, which I don't think is a good choice. Um, I just think taking alien hormones into your body. It'd be great if they had a bioidentical birth control pill, but they don't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm really in love right now with IUDs. You put mm-hmm. it in, you take it out every five years, it, you get a non-medicated IUD, and then you have the ability to actually stay safe but have fluid-bonded sex with your partner. So I'm talking about a woman protecting herself from pregnancy while still being able to enjoy the benefits of the semen that the man provides. And again, this is in a heterosexual situation that I'm talking about, which is still in today's world what the large majority of people are doing is having primarily heterosexual sex. So Mm -hmm. the thing that's great for women about semen, well, there are like a million things. Semen is the most awesome thing. It gives you testosterone, which lowers your anxiety and improves your, gives you more courage and confidence that you don't get if you're using condoms. It gives you Mm. estriol and estradiol. So it improves your own skin elasticity and health and brain function. There are so many great things that are in semen that if you have the ability to get tested and be in a exclusive committed relationship with someone where you're protected from you're using some contraception. Again, I like IUDs, as I recommend them. Um, this is what I recommended to my daughter, and she uses an IUD. I'm past my menopause, so I don't need to. And it gives her the ability to get a series of sexually transmitted infection STI tests, which I can tell you what those are if you want me to list them off. Everything's on my website at personallifemedia.com. You can look, what STI test should I get? Why is semen so awesome? How do I get a sexual soulmate pact? What is fluid bonded? It's all there. (laughs) um, 
skip over on this conversation today, you can always just go get more info and dig deeper if that's of interest to you. So we want to cover, Sumi and I want to cover a lot of ground with you. And so, you know, there'll be places where you'll feel like, wait, tell me more. And I'm sorry, we're mm-hmm. not going to. You've got to go do your homework. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what bonded means is you can ejaculate on him, he can ejaculate in you, you can uh, kiss, you can have anal sex, you can do anything you want because you have some sort of contraception if you're of age to require it and you've had your STD test and so you are exclusive to either each other or a group. So in an open relationship there might be You might be in a polyamorous triad. You might be dating a couple and a guy uh, or two two women. It doesn't matter as long as all of you are in an exclusive commitment to not have sex with other people except yourselves. And it could be that there's five or six of you and the two of you have sex with them, but that person doesn't have sex with these three. I mean, you can get as creative as you want. As lo- and and what, what's the problem with this? Based on integrity. So you have to make sure that your lovers have integrity. Because if they mm-hmm. go out and they have sex with someone else, unprotected, and then they come back to the group and they have unprotected sex with you, then you get an STI and you give it to all your lovers. So what we're really mm-hmm. talking about here is an agreement that you're exclusive and that you've had your tests and that you don't have to use condoms. That gets me into the A and B level sexual contact conversation. So Okay, before, before you go, go there, into that, Susan, uh, yeah, I have a yeah. question for you. Okay, so you talked about the benefits of semen for women. And my question for you is, is that just uh, penis-to-vagina semen, or uh, are the benefits of semen um, achieved through oral, um, oral contact with semen as well? I don't, I don't know of any um, studies where they've compared the benefits of uh, ingesting semen versus taking it in through the vaginal mucosa, but the vaginal mucosa is like a sponge that absorbs mm. all the hormonal mm-hmm. stimulants that are mm-hmm. in semen, the estrone, the mm. estradiol, the FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, I think that makes your hair healthy. Luteinizing hormones, endorphins, prolactins, the all-blessed oxytocin, um, Mm -hmm. serotonin, prostaglandins, zinc, which is great for your brain function, and beautiful, wonderful testosterone, which Mm -hmm. lowers your depression, increases your courage, and makes you feel great. So... The fact that your vagina is a sponge, it's a fantastic Mm. delivery mechanism for all these hormones. So I'd say it's best if you could take it into your vagina, but I don't know what the data is on uh, taking it in your mouth. That's also mucosal lining. It's very similar Mm -hmm. to your vagina. Mm -hmm. So the chances are maybe you you need to swish it around a little bit. I don't know. But as soon as it hits (laughs) the stomach acid, it's got to be you know, really severely impacted. So I think 
the fact that if you hold it in your vaginal canal, it's going to probably work a lot better for you, be more, you know, give that you more sense. of the benefit. Right, right. Okay, thank you. Okay, go on. You were talking about the A and B of something. Okay, so here's the thing. One of my recent articles was about the that there are like 19 or 20 sexually transmitted diseases. What's going on in the world right now is people are having a lot more sex with a lot more people in a lot more places. It's the jet age of Tinder. And mm-hmm. so things that used to, you know, the Zika virus that used to be in subtropical, you know, wherever the place is now here in America. Everything mm-hmm. is everywhere. And people are having a lot of dangerous sex. And you have to be very, very, very careful, very careful. And so you put yourself at risk with every partner. I mean, even if you use a condom, stuff, mites, bacterial, scabies, all kinds, you know, there's basically viruses and bacterias, and then there's different kinds of like little bug things. Those are the big ones that can kind of, that you can get. And the issue is that a condom or a dental dam doesn't really contain everything. And there's a lot of stuff that you can get even kissing, right? So you got to, or give. And so you got to really think about how many partners do I want and what kind of a relationship do I want? How adverse am I to STIs? Um, what, how would I feel if I got herpes? How would I feel if I got HPV? How would I feel if I got scabies? How would I feel if I got whatever? I mean, even friggin' bed bugs, you know? I mean, ever you go sleep at someone's house and they've got bed bugs because they just traveled to wherever and, oy, you know, it's just a lot to keep your body safe. And so I personally like to err on the side of being super safe. And there is a way that you can severely reduce your risk of getting STIs. And that is this thing that I call the A and B level sexual contact. Mm. A level, let's just call A level is very safe. It's kissing and using your hands on people's genitals. So you could give someone a really good fingering. You could, and you can even wear gloves if you want to. And hardly anybody can really feel that when she gets some lube on. So you can be super, super safe that way. Um, it's always good to have a conversation, a sexual history conversation, which you can read about on my website. So I tell you what to say and which things to ask and when to do it and how to approach them and all that stuff. Um, I even have a safe sex guide for parties, if you go to play parties, uh, because I want people to have a lot of great sex with as many partners as possible. I am for sex and I am for lots of it with many people at the highest level of safety you can manage. Because I think we grow from having great sex with lots of partners. We learn things from everybody we've ever been with. So A is I can kiss you. And I can touch your genitals and you can touch my genitals. You can touch my breasts. You can, do, you can put your fingers in me, on me, around me, wherever you want. Very, very safe. B-level sexual contact is everything else, which includes genital to genital and mouth to genital contact. Once you start putting your mouth on someone's genitals, once you start genital to genital contact, that's when I feel it's best to think about Waiting until you know you really want to, getting tested, 
and then considering at least being in some kind of an exclusive agreement. That means you're going to have fewer partners for longer times, but you can have multiple partners at the same time because you can be in a fluid bonded, non-monogamous relationship with multiple people. And then they're safe, you're safe, and you get variety. Mm-hmm. If you feel like a condom is safe enough for you, then do that. You don't have to follow this structure. You're going to make your own decisions about what level of sex is right for you. If you want to be super safe, that's the way to do it. If you're not as worried, then use a condom. Have sexual history. Make sure you've got current STI tests. Ask them how many people they've been with. What kind of sex have they been having? All that's on the website. But those are things that you can, you can kind of navigate yourself. And if you have any questions, you can send me an email. I'm Susan at personallifemedia.com, and I answer, I pretty much answer every email I get personally. If I don't, I send it to my assistant and say, send them this information, and she knows exactly what to send you. She'll get you to the right Beautiful. place. Great. So one of the things I find is challenging in our mainstream culture is that when people p- test positive for an STD, there's often a lot of shame about that, and then it makes it hard for them to tell other people that they've been intimate with that, that they tested positive so the other people can do something about that. Um, yeah. Have you thought about this? Is there anything that we can do to help make people feel safer to take the shame away so that they are willing to share when they've tested positive for something? Yes. Uh, so let's see. What, what, are you, what could you get? Bacterial vaginosis, chancroids, chlamydia, gonorrhea, granuloma inguinale, hepatitis B, herpes, HIV, HPV, pubic lice, Lyme disease, lymphogranuloma varineum, or otherwise known as LGV, <laughs> polluscum, pelvic inflammatory disease, scabies, syphilis, trichinomiasis, urinary tract infections, vaginitis. Those are just some of the things that you might get. Look at all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff there. So mm-hmm. I think the most, oh, and by the way, if you want to know about all those things, Carol Queen wrote a fabulous book called The Sex and Pleasure Book. Good Vibrations put it out, and it talks to you about all these different infections, what they are, how it works, all that stuff. So now just knowing that there's at least, and I don't even have Zika on that list. That brings us up to 20. 20 sexually mm. transmitted diseases or diseases that come, diseases or infections that come from the outcome of untreated STIs, like pelvic inflammatory disease isn't an STI. It's a progressive infection that's an outcome of an untreated STI. And so there's a very good chance that if you're sexually active, you'll get one or more of these things. I've had chlamydia gonorrhea, herpes, I still have herpes, uh, I think I have had scabies, I don't know if I have had syphilis, but it's likely, you know, <laughs> 35 years of having mm-hmm. sex and you get things. So mm-hmm. people get things. It happens all the time. Uh, the best thing to do is to get tested regularly. If anything is weird, go to a good gynecologist or urologist 
and keep your genitals in great shape. Make sure you're looking at them and checking them out. When you have sex with someone, look at their genitals. And by the way, look at their butt because one of the things that happens with um, herpes is that now herpes one used to be on your mouth and herpes two used to be on your genitals. And now they're because of oral sex, they're both everywhere. But uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of times herpes lesions are at the base of the ganglion bundle, right at the top of your butt crack on your back Mm. or on a butt cheek. If you see a red thing that looks like a zit, it could very well be herpes. And a lot of people are fairly pain tolerant so they don't even feel that they have it. So you really have to do a body scan of people. You just need to really use your eyes, turn on the lights and use your eyes when you're having that conversation or you're deciding you're going to make love with someone. And when you get something, treat it. But let's talk about the things that you can't treat, like herpes is a very, very common one. Most of these things are treatable. Obviously, HIV is a big one, uh, and that's much more rare. And so I'm going to focus on one that's very, very common because, you know, chlamydia, gonorrhea, these kinds of things, you can get rid of them. You take antibiotics, unfortunately, uh, because they're not good for you, and uh, you get rid of them. But herpes, so many people have it. It's considered that women over 40, 75% of women over 40 have herpes. And that means the men do Mm. too, because they're all having sex with each other. It's just, just that the vaginal mucosa, like being that lovely sponge that it is, women tend to get and have more of the sexually transmitted diseases than men do because their penises mm-hmm. are a little more hearty. They, have, they, just, mm-hmm. they just have less mucous membrane to deal with. And so, you've, all right, you've got mm-hmm. herpes. Okay, you've got herpes, and now you have it, and you've got to tell your partner. And you are just as upset as they are because it's the last thing in the world you want, and it's the last thing in the world you want to give someone. It's painful. It hurts when you get it. And uh, nobody wants to have these things, but it's a virus. It comes and goes. It comes with stress. So you've got to keep your stress down and keep your body healthy. A lot of people can tell when they get it. So they just avoid sex for 10 to 14 days so they don't give their partner herpes. So if you're aware of it and you know what you have, you just have to be up front. And there's no good way to do it. It's like getting a Band-Aid off. Sometimes you just have to pull it off. You just have to Mm -hmm. do it. You just have to say, with a lump in my throat and a sadness in my heart, I have to let you know that I have herpes. And now you could have it and I want you to go get tested or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just before you make love with someone, you know, this is what I have. Uh, And I understand if you don't have it and you don't want to get it and you feel that the risk is too much for you. I understand that you love me and you find me hot. And that it's just not the right thing for you. And I'm sad about it because it sucks that I have it. But you're more important to me than my desire to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's beautiful words. Um, I've also found that when community leaders share openly, there was a, a leader of a large um, sexy play party community who um, ended up testing positive for a, a treatable STI, and they put it out on, on Facebook, and I was so proud of them for role modeling that we don't have to have shame, and even if the leader of the community 
sometimes get STDs than if I get one. <laughs> it's not so bad. And that way, everybody who was around that person or had sex with them or someone they had sex with could get treated. So, And I had another friend many years ago before Facebook even existed. Uh, he sent out an email to everybody he'd had sex with in the past year um, with the results of his test. And I was just so amazed and and tickled by the fact that he was willing to send a group email out to everyone. And it was such a great role modeling, uh, taking the shame out of that and just making it be another topic of conversation. So the more we can role model that for people, I think we heal the world that way one person at a time. Yes. So, um, yeah, you also talked about, how to avoid STDs or STIs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, it's this idea that you get tested before you have sex with another person. You both get tested Mm -hmm. and you decide that you're going to have sex together. So, Mm -hmm. That's the best way to do it. The second best way to do it is to keep your STI tests up to date and do a sexual history discussion. Mm-hmm. And then if you still end up getting one, um, like you said, most of them are treatable. Um, a lot of people live with herpes. It's not pleasant, but it's common. <laughs> Super um, common. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of fear around HIV, um, it's not as common among heterosexual people who pretty much stay in that community. Um, but I know that it's still a big fear. So what do you say to people who carry around that stigma? Uh, people who carry, people who have HIV? Uh, who are afraid of, of, you know, playing with other people because HIV is out there and it, and it sounds so scary. Yeah. Um, I think everybody has to manage to their own level of comfort. And if they're afraid to be with people who have HIV, then they should consider fluid bonded or non-fluid bonded. It doesn't even have to be fluid bonded. It it could just be uh, having both having STD tests and then having sex. So if you want to be with someone and you want to be absolutely sure they don't have HIV, which that's what I choose, right? You you want to, I recommend that you get tested before you have sex with someone new. But I also understand that there are people who that they'd be getting tested all the time and they'd be having their partners get, different partners get tested all the time. And I understand that too. So you can have a safe sex discussion. And if they tell you they have HIV, then you can decide whether you want to have sex with them or not. It may just not be right for you. Right. Yeah, and I think what you said earlier about putting the person's, your your own and the other person's well-being ahead of your desire for them. Um, and, yes. you know, sometimes our hormones can get really overpowering and our turn-on is really great, um, but we have to let our adult um, brain take precedence in these situations and and make the right decisions. And like you said, there's so many other things we can do, um, like A-level sex. And um, I've had some great sex and tantra workshops where I had all my clothes on and I wasn't even touching the other person. So there's lots of ways to have sex that's really, really safe. 
Yeah, expanded orgasm dates, genital massage, makeout, sensual massage. Um, you can do like 69 where you're just using your hands. You know, mm. there's all kinds of things you mm-hmm. can do. Your hands mm-hmm. are, I mean, it can be very erotic, even mm-hmm. if you keep your underwear on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So what I heard you say basically about fluid-bonded non-monogamy is that you choose which pod you want to be fluid-bonded with. You make sure that that pod only does A-level sex outside of the pod. Is that a good way to put it? Yes. Uh And that you make sure that your pod are people that you know really well and that you can trust their word when they say that if they do go a little too far outside the pod, sex happens, it's okay, but just tell us before you have sex with anyone in the pod. Yeah, and then go get retested and come back in right. or don't. And you, you might, right, and you might have to wait a few months, three months usually, um, before you have fluid-bonded sex with the pod again, um, but it protects the pod from possibly contracting something that you got when you were outside the pod going around. <laughs> exactly. Protect the pod. Well, the other thing is there are right. tests. Uh, there used to be incubation periods that took, it was a 90-day waiting period after you had unprotected sex with someone who might have been infected with certain things. I think it was, I think it actually was HIV that was the one that was a long test. And um, now there's a one month, there's a 30-day test as well. So you can actually just stay in for 30 days and just do A-level stuff until you can get to B-level stuff with your pod again. Mm-hmm. Great, great, great. Okay, well, we covered that topic pretty quickly. So let's talk a little bit more about monogamy versus non-monogamy. Um, you yeah. wrote an article about being monogamish. Can you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> you are reading all my articles. I love it. Let's see. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think about what I would like to say about monogamish. Probably there are a lot of people who have health issues or they're in that 3% of people who don't want to have sex and they're in a relationship and their partner is very upset because they're not getting the sex that they need, which is more than the other partner wants. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people who ask me what to do about that, I love my partner, but you know, do I, am I going to have to be celibate for the rest of my life because of this issue with my partner? I say, What about if you and your partner take a lover and your partner, for whatever reason, doesn't have to have sex, but can be included? Either you all have dinner together and then you go off and make love in a bedroom or uh, all three of you are together uh, and, you know, your partner is there and 
getting the water for you and passing the lube and giggling and laughing <laughs> and stroking your partner's body and adding value, holding space, being present, showing support, finding the joy for you that you're getting, the sexual satisfaction that they want you to have because they're not able to do it for whatever legitimate, totally reasonable reason. There's mm-hmm. so many, I mean, there's a, um, a couple that um, she is, she has some health issues and she's confined to bed and he, the husband and his girlfriend come in to her bed and they are lay with her and they kiss her and they kiss each other and they love her and they tell her how much they love her. And then they go off mm. and they do their thing and they come back and they tell her how it was. So she feels mm. like she's part of it. And mm-hmm. so really, I think what we're talking about here and, and Sumati, I think your show is one that strives to, break the bounds of what we should do and talk about what we could do. You Mm -hmm. want to open up, you want to enlarge the possibility for people to give and receive the love and the pleasure that we're all entitled to at whatever level it's available to us. Mm -hmm. And so what I don't want is for people to feel like they have to cheat to get their needs met when a conversation could be had to come up with a more clever way to care for everyone's hearts. Yeah, and there are also ways of being monogamish that don't involve touching another person at all, um, which could be going to a play party or a swinger club together and just staying with your mate and being in that energy and watching other people. So being a sacred voyeur is one way to add some juice while not touching anyone else. <laughs> um, or flirting. Flirting is another way I've found that uh, flirting really wakes me up and makes me excited and runs energy through my body um, and makes me want to take care of myself better, getting that attention, feeling beautiful, um, just having agreement with my partner that it's okay to flirt. Um, even if you don't kiss or anything, just the flirting energy. Because a lot of monogamous people don't allow flirting. <laughs> so just giving yourself that permission to flirt can really uh, excite a woman and allow her to bring that energy back to her partner. So true. Um, yeah, so I think monogamish is a really great alternative for couples that really don't want to go for the full non-monogamy or open relationship. Um, So tell us a little bit more, Susan, about um, what you tell people that want to explore open relationship for their first time, Um, a couple that may have been together for a long, long time and their sex is a little stale and they want to try opening it up. What kind of advice would you give them to to start out and have the the most hope for it working out and being a healthy, healthy open relationship? The first thing would be to make sure that the foundation of your existing relationship is solid so that you're very conscious about what it is you're looking for when you open up your relationship. Um, Mostly what I see is people opening up their relationship where they get into trouble is that they're looking for something 
else and better that they that their partner feels badly about not being able to give them or mm-hmm. um, they want variety. A lot of times one or both of the partners just want more variety. We're hardwired mm-hmm. to want to have love and sex with a lot of people. It's um, societal conditioning that really keeps us monogamous. It just, it, it fuels society better when people are pair bonded and there's lots of reasons for pair bonding, but it's the beginning of that solid foundation that, that you start with. So number one is, doing something I call understanding your relationship values. There are, and, and really, there's only three or four things you need to know about your partner to, to satisfy them 90% of the way. Mm-hmm. And they're different than what you want. So getting really clear on what it is that makes your partner happy and what makes you happy so that when you get up every day, you're focused on doing those things that let your partner know that they're in the perfect relationship with you and that they do the things that are really making you happy. And I'll give you an example. They're based on your personal values. So let's just say that Lauren really wants security. She wants Robert, let's call him Robert, to take care of her. She wants to know that uh, she's safe, that there's good tires on the car, that he's got a steady job and he pays the bills on time, that they have a burglar alarm in their house, that they have health insurance. She wants him to get her door for her and just really take care of her in that way. That's security to her. It makes her feel safe and less afraid, more grounded and well-loved and protected. That's very common for women. But Her second thing that she needs to be in her perfect relationship is a lot of freedom. More and more women want the freedom to be able to go off on their own and have their own life experiences that are something that makes them happy but may not necessarily be the thing that makes their partner happy. Let's just say that Robert, what he wants is passion. He needs a lot of physical touch and affection. If he's not stroked and loved every day at a minimum, then he feels a little lost and a little um, untethered and disconnected. He likes a lot of physical touch in his relationship. So Lauren needs to make sure that she puts her attention on that. As he's paying the bills, she's sitting on his lap and kissing him, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He likes honesty. He, you know, Lauren could fudge the facts or gloss over some things as she learned how to do in the family that she grew up in. But she knows that Robert needs total honesty, that he doesn't ever want to be blindsided, that it makes him feel insecure in his relationship with her unless she just tells him the truth about everything. So she's taken to just telling him everything, all the little nitty-gritty details, because she actually realized that it's the things about herself that she doesn't like to admit that are the hardest to tell Robert, that it's not about any of the other things in the outside world. It's her own little foibles and imperfections that, you know, all right, well, here's what I did. You know, I scraped the tire on the side of the thing because I'm not very good at parallel parking, you know, <laughs> and then he knows mm-hmm. oh, that's where that scrape, scrape came from. That makes them feel safe in their primary relationship. And once you, uh, once you know what your values are and you describe them to your partner and they go, okay, the I'm going to make sure those bills are paid on time. Oh, I'm going to make sure I sit on his lap every day. And there's just a few things like that that make you feel like you're in the perfect relationship with each other. From that solid mm-hmm. platform where you are, you are playing that higher game where it's the two of you against the world. Everyone else is additive. You bring in the love. You expand the love. All of that is great, but you're always coming back to home base with each other. 
That, I Mm -hmm. think, is the great place to start. The second thing is having agreements about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do in a lot of specificity. And agreements change as you mature and evolve. So what I want you to know about agreements is that agreements are always changing, but they're always changing with verbal agreement between both parties. So Mm -hmm. if you're allowed to kiss a girl and touch her boobs whenever you want without asking your wife or your, you know, your partner, that's totally fine with her, then you go do that. But if she says, (laughs) I don't really want you to even kiss anybody or touch their boobs before you come and ask me, or I want her to come and ask me if it's okay, because I want to look her in the eye and make sure she's not going to be a you know, a drain bow or a weirdo or a clutch on to you and cause me problems. Whatever that is for you, whatever your boundaries are around your agreements, you have to have them going in and be really clear about them. And if an agreement gets broken in the, you know, the throes of excitement, you also have to have some compassion that you're all doing the best you can do and you're going to deal with what is and you're not going to make that mistake again. So Mm -hmm. it still comes back to agreements, integrity, all the same stuff we've been saying all along, plus scheduling. Mm -hmm. There's always scheduling. (laughs) That's another (laughs) agreement around opening your relationship (laughs) Mm -hmm. is who's going to own the schedule, who gets veto power. These are the kinds of things that if you read any books around being an ethical slut or 21st century polyamory or any of the articles about open relationships that are out there, you'll find these common themes that come from uh, people who love many and enjoy doing it. Right, and there, a lot of people think scheduling is the hardest thing about non-monogamy because um, after some time practicing open relationship, we learn that, that love is not a zero-sum game, that the more love we have and the more healthy, exciting, juicy sex we have, the more it seems to grow. Um, but time is finite and limited, so we do have to come to terms with the fact that we all have only 24 hours a day and how do we divide up that pie is a little more challenging than how to divide up the love because the love tends to grow and grow and grow the more, the more, the more, the more. (laughs) I think that the, if it's a couple starting out and they want to open their relationship, I do believe that the best place to start is with threesomes. Mm -hmm. I think threesomes are fantastic. And mm-hmm. um, I think that um, when, when you say threesome, most people think two women and a man. I think that mm-hmm. threesomes with two men and a woman can be really, really, really powerful for people as well. Um, mm-hmm. Men can learn so much from watching each other. When you're the husband and you see a man make love to your wife for the first time and you're like, whoa, he did that better than I've mm-hmm. ever done. Oh, you get <laughs> You know, you can really grow. <laughs> it can be a growing experience. But when two men come together to fully pleasure a woman, and I'm not talking about double penetration and all the stuff you see on porn. I mean, that's sensationalist sex to get a guy to have an ejaculation. It's a billion-dollar business. They're preying on you. Double penetration every once in a while for a woman who might like to try it. You know, there's a few women in the world that they, that's their favorite thing. There's some women who like it once in a while, but it's not that kind of thing. It's more like 
you're kissing her while he's, you know, going down on her. You're playing with her breasts while he's making love to her. I mean, there's a lot that can be said for the connection between two men who come together to give a woman incredible pleasure or some, a bisexual man or two bisexual men. You know, there's just, there's so many ways to play. But I think the threesome is a great practice for couples where you learn to establish your boundaries. You learn to communicate your agreements. You learn to have safe sex talks. You learn to um, work with the energy of multiple people. Um, you can have hundreds of threesomes with the same person, the same three, three set, set of three people, and make it get better and better and better and better over the years. So mm-hmm. when you think about opening your relationship, you're thinking, oh, God, I get to go have sex with all these new people. and It's going to be so much fun. I hope my partner doesn't get left behind. You know, It's not really the place to start that thing. Mm-hmm. The place to start is mm-hmm. including, inclusion, everyone, mm-hmm. holding, creating a, a, a circuit of love around a group of people. It works, it just mm-hmm. works better to keep people together than to separate them, I think, if that's possible. Beautiful. That's great advice. I love that. And yes, I have one of my peak experiences when, was when I was dating two men. I had an equal love relationship with both of them. And they both made love to me and worshipped me like I'd never been worshipped before. And it was just amazing. So, yeah. Yes. So my next question for you is if you are a non-monogamous person and you're single and you're dating and you go on a first coffee date with someone that maybe you met on OkCupid or somebody fixed you up with um, and they're also a non-monogamous person, what kind of questions should you ask to see if they might be the right kind of non-monogamous person for you? <laughs> I think a lot of them are situational questions like how many people are you sleeping with? What are your agreements with them? What are your safe sex practices? If we were to become lovers, you know, are you thinking this is a kind of like a one night standy thing? Or are you thinking this is something where you'd want to date and go out and do things? Or is this something where you just think we should get together and have sex once a week? Um, You know, like what would suit you? What would suit your schedule? Are there certain sexual things that you'd like to do that you haven't done that you're interested in doing with me? What might they be like? Where would we have sex? Um... And then I would, talk, I would do things like um, health, really, a lot of just like generally how's your health, what, what kind of food do you eat, you know, like I just want to, I'd want to mm-hmm. go about that stuff, do you have any old girlfriends, is there anyone that, you're, that you've had bad breakups with? I mean, you can ask all kinds of questions to get a sense of mm-hmm. a person. Mm-hmm. But I think those ones I started mm-hmm. out with generally are the, the good ones to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm thinking more along the lines of, um, what the relationship, if you do meet somebody and you decide to go down the path of relationship with them, um, what, how would they want to do open relationship? Um, so, for example, my first open relationship, my partner wanted to go to see professional dominatrix people. Um, and I wanted to have a love relationship with someone else you know like a secondary relationship and he just wanted to go pay a sex worker to spank him 
so we had kind of slightly different ways and he judged me a little bit for having being in love with someone else because he thought he was superior because he wasn't in love with the women that spanked him. <laughs> so there was a mm-hmm. little bit of a mismatch there with, we both thought we wanted an open relationship, but a really different way of being open. And then if you are dating somebody who already is in a relationship, then there are a certain set of questions to ask them about, how they do that other relationship and is there a hierarchy involved, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I always think that if you are dating someone who's in a relationship with other people, you need to meet all of them and they all need to approve of you and you need to approve of them. It's very telling mm-hmm. to see the other people that your partner, your prospective partner's having sex with. You've got to look them in the eye and think, can I trust them? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a yeah, lot of agreements. It's a lot of conversation. That is one of the things that a lot of people shy away from. They just don't like talking about those things. It's hard. These are hard conversations. They're very vulnerable. Yeah. And in the old school model of open relationship, the couple, it was almost a given that they would have veto power, that they could say, I don't want you to date that person anymore for whatever yeah. reason. And then that person's gone. Um, so if yeah. I were coming in to, to date a couple, to date one or both members of a couple, I would want to know, do you guys have a veto agreement? Are you going to ask me at some point in the future when I'm in love with you, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's a good thing to know about. Yeah, like the if you're working with people who have been in open relationships over time and they have some experience, you can ask them about all the partners they've had in the past and why they ended and that can mm, be a good, good clue as to how it might end for you. Because people are what you see. They're, they're not different than what you see. They're, they're what you see, unless they're sociopaths. And you've got to watch out for sociopaths. Um, there are a lot of sociopaths out there who, and that, that guy that liked getting the spankings, he was probably just a sociopath. He probably just didn't have a lot of emotion. So he couldn't bring emotion to sex. So he liked sensation play because Mm -hmm. he that's how he felt that's how he could get feeling Mm -hmm. the feeling Mm -hmm. he was missing from the emotional connection for a lot Mm -hmm. of other other people that it takes them time to connect their genitals with their heart it takes some practice for Mm -hmm. them to connect the dots of that Mm -hmm. right right yeah this makes me think that it might be a, a good a good article to write on what questions to ask if you're dating in a non-monogamous way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot okay, of them are well, very complex. Definitely. Um, so we are a little bit over an hour, and I don't see anybody calling to ask questions. So I want to just okay. give you a chance to talk about anything else that you want to share, Susan. Um, is there anything else? you'd like to say before we start to bring it to a close? Um, I guess I would just really want to thank you for staying with us for an hour, thinking through all of these things. It's always one foot in front of the other and listen to your gut. Um, And sometimes it takes quite a few tries to find the partner that's going to really suit and satisfy your lifestyle, the kinds of things you want to learn and do, the experiences you want to have. 
And I just want to encourage you to stand for what is right for you in the moment because those things will change over time. And with so many, with access to so many people online now, you know, you can, you can keep talking to people till you find someone that's the right fit for you. And always think about being kind to yourself and giving yourself a chance to learn and grow and it's okay to make mistakes and be gentle with yourself. Don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself for everything to be perfect all the time. Stuff mm-hmm. happens. And it's how you handle yourself with love, compassion, and integrity that creates the model for other people who want to be with you. And so... I, I would say that that's the most important thing is to, to be kind and loving to yourself as you take yourself through whatever process unfolds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about agreements earlier, and I find that a lot of times people will, if an agreement has been broken, um, the person who felt harmed by that sometimes gets more angry at the fact that the agreement was broken than any potential injury from the agreement being broken. So it's kind of like a smoke screen. It's a way to avoid the feelings of what they really want underneath it. Um, mm-hmm. And they just say, you broke the agreement. You were bad. So watch for that. If you're opening your relationship for the first time, watch for getting too crazy attached to the agreement. And look more toward why did you make that agreement? What need do you, do you have there? What need may not have been met? And also be gentle with your partner because if you're both new at this, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well said. Mm-hmm. Well, Susan, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your vast treasure trove of knowledge with us. Um, And so one more time, do you want to remind people where they can reach you and remind them about the gift that you're offering our listeners? Yes. I'd love for you to take the Sexual Soulmate Pact as my gift. It's, um, It's very simple and extremely powerful, and it really will expand your pleasure and connection. It's at personallifemedia.com. That's all one word, personallifemedia.com slash sexual dash soulmate dash pact you might even be able to google sexual soulmate pact <laughs> and just find okay. it um and also if you want the whole book it's on amazon it's you know what is it 9.99 or something but it's got the six essentials for connected sex that's just one of them and they're all really fabulous great if i don't say so myself <laughs> um, uh-huh and you said people can ask you questions at susan at personallifemedia.com is that correct yep you betcha. Okay, great. Awesome. You well, thanks again so much. You don't get to be a so sex advisor without answering questions. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and your YouTube channel, too. I saw that you were looking for more subscribers. Do you want to plug that real quick? I'd love to. I'm trying to achieve 10,000 subscribers, and I'm very close. I just started it last year, and I've got hundreds of videos up there now. And um, it's at youtube.com slash C as in Charlie slash better lover. Or you can just type in Susan Bratton better lover and you'll find me on YouTube. I'd love if you'd click the subscribe button. You don't get an email every week, even though I post a new video every week, 
but um, at least it helps YouTube know that people love my show, love my videos, and it gets me access to some higher level studios where I can produce even cooler videos. So um, it's my pleasure to make those videos and give all that free information away. So thank you for subscribing to my YouTube Better Lover channel if you do. Mm -hmm. Okay, Susan, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you all the best with your business. And um, we will all partake of your knowledge and all become better lovers. (laughs) Yay, I love it. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.